Folks, our guest with us today is Larry Sikora. Larry has been doing prison ministry for many years down in the Cedar Rapids area. We've supported Larry uh, for several years, and last year we actually uh, had a service where we ordained Larry, and um, he is going to be sharing a message here from our Mark series and we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Before we get into that, I just want to let you know that Larry will be landing the plane, if you will, on our Mark series today. And then we're going to pick Mark back up um, as a kind of a passion series, looking at the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. We're going to pick that up in the spring as next week we begin our Christmas series. So we're going to kind of hit pause on the Mark series and pick it back up in several months. But Larry's going to help us to land the plane here. And so, Larry, would you please come forward? And we're going to take a moment to pray over Larry. And then have him share the message. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time of worship now, as we get into the Word of God, we believe that it's inspired, it's active, and it moves upon our hearts in powerful ways. And I pray, Father, that you would use Larry, the things that you've placed upon his heart to share, that, Lord, you would minister through him to us, and our hearts would be ready to receive and respond. And I pray over our children's ministry, bless their time in the Word together. We thank you, Lord, as we draw in to you and what it is you have to say, we ask for your blessing upon this time. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, would you welcome Reverend Larry Sikora. Thank you. Well, I thank you, Pastor Russ, uh, for inviting me up here to speak today. Um, this church has been behind me for about 10 years now, and I've been up here many times. Uh, during that period, and uh, your faces are looking more and more familiar each time. And, uh, you know, I've gone to lunch with quite a few of you. I've been to dinner with some, and uh, a couple of you have invited my wife and over to your homes. And so I feel welcome every time I come up here. I know you're all spread out by a lot of farmland, and, uh, but this seems to be a tight-knit community, and everybody kind of knows everyone. In fact, I wouldn't doubt that there's a lot of you here today that may be related to one another. So you could be within arm's length of a relative of yours here today. And listen, um, if your relatives are anything like mine, no fighting, please. All right? Thank you. Update you a little bit on the prison ministry. Um, but I'm not going to spend much time on that. But briefly, things have changed a lot. Um, because of the murders that took place in Anamosa Prison. There was, as most of you probably know, there was a guard and there was a nurse that was uh, murdered by a couple inmates during COVID. And so they have really tightened up everything as far as volunteers like myself coming into the prison. And so in June, I was the very first um, volunteer allowed it back into the Iowa prisons. And that was only to, uh, so that the chaplain of 36 years at the prison that I uh, served uh, could retire. And so he did, and then I filled in that space for him until they found another chaplain. And then I had to fall back under 
all the restrictions that are placed now on volunteers. And so I'm no longer allowed to go into the cell block units and go cell to cell sharing the gospel like I've been doing for 13 years now. And so that, with that said, it pretty much puts an end to my prison ministry here in Iowa. Now, that, that doesn't mean that I'm getting out of prison ministry. There's opportunities I'm looking for in other states, and I don't know. God may want me out of prison ministry. I don't know. He's, he's got his hand on my life. I know that, and that's not going to change. That truth holds true to everyone else here today who's a believer. And so I'm going to wait and see where the Lord guides me, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Mark 10, 35. And uh, before we read that, I'm just going to say a few words. We're going to learn today in the passages that the world's ways are opposite of God's ways. They're completely different. The text mainly focuses today on leadership. The wor- what the world considers to be successful leadership, God opposes. And what God considers to be successful leadership, the world opposes. They're kind of upside down from one another. The world leadership is driven by pride and selfish ambition. And those who live according to the world seek to be empowered for personal gain, for the most part, and to dominate over other people, and in many cases to oppress people. But godly leadership is driven by humility and meekness. And those who live according to the gospel, we seek to deny ourselves and be empowered to love God, love other people, and live out our lives serving other people. And so there's dominating leadership and there's servitude leadership, God's way, the world's way, and God's way. And so the Bible says in James 4.4 that a friend of this world is actually an enemy of God. And why is that? Well, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, we as believers, uh, Jesus said that uh, the kingdom of God is within us. And so the Holy Spirit living in the believer, married together with the Holy Word of God, can renew our minds, change our hearts, and transform our lives. But the non-believer doesn't have that. And we all used to be there. You know, they they can't understand God. They can't submit to God. They're influenced by the darkness of Satan in the world. And uh, we see it all around us. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And then we all used to be that way. Ephesians 2, 1, 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. 
And Jesus tells us in John 15, 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Let's read today's passages. Uh, Mark 10, 35 through 45. Let me read those here. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I've broken today's text down into three sections. The first is the selfish request. Second, the eye-opening proclamation from Jesus. And third, the spiritual pattern we're to follow. So let's look at the selfish request in verses 35 through 37. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So their request was, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, I'm sure you can all join me in this. I know looking back on my life, if Jesus did everything for me that I requested him to do, my life would be a bloody mess right now, and I'm sure yours probably would be too. Besides that, that shouldn't be the question that we ask Jesus. Instead, we should uh, uh, ask him, what can we do for you instead? Well, they wanted to sit with him in the highest positions in the kingdom, one on his right hand, which is second in rank, one in his left hand, which is third in rank. So they wanted to be leaders over the other disciples. They wanted positions of power over them. So basically, they're looking at three things. They wanted preeminence. They wanted glory and honor. They wanted to be elevated above the other disciples and be superior. Second, they wanted proximity. They wanted to be close to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being close to Jesus. In fact, that's the best and safest and most peaceful place for any of us to be. But I think that they're, uh, they weren't looking for fellowship as much as they were looking to rule alongside Jesus. They wanted and that leads us to the third thing, power. They wanted positions of great authority in the coming kingdom. The sons of thunder who wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy lives wanted thrones and power. And, you know, I, when I used to read that verse, 
I've been a Christian now for 22 years. I always thought to myself, man, how can a Christian even think like that? Call down fire and destroy these poor Samaritan people? But I'll tell you what, I found myself to be kind of guilty of that recently, and I'm, you know, I'm going to ask you a question because you might be a sons of thunder too. All right? Answer this to yourself. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. But since the uh, Russian and Ukraine war started, how many of you have said to your spouse or a friend or whoever that you would love to drop a bomb on Putin's lap? All right? You can put your hand down back there, sir. I think that was one of your deacons, Russ. (laughs) So, yeah, we can be influenced by the uh, world, the flesh, and the devil, and that's why we should take to heart what uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for that determines the course of your life. And so what made these guys even think, first of all, that they could request these positions? And it could be because, you know, they probably considered themselves uh, the elite three. It was always James, John, and Peter that Jesus took to special places to see special revelations. And so he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw Jesus Christ transform into his heavenly uh, body. And then uh, they went to a synagogue ruler's home with Jesus. And he saw, they saw him raise Jairus's daughter from the dead. Can you imagine that? And then they took him to a secluded spot in the garden for prayer, special prayer, before Jesus was arrested. Furthermore, we see in Matthew 20 that uh, Salome, their mother, actually made the request first. And some theologians believe Salome was Mary's sister or sister-in-law, which would make her Jesus's aunt and would make James and John Jesus' cousins. So it could be that they felt that they uh, could ask this request because of the fact that they were family. But, you know, they were, furthermore, they were really just claiming what Jesus had already promised them earlier in Matthew. In 1928, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They had been promised thrones, power, and positions in the kingdom. That's probably why Jesus didn't rebuke them for, even, for making that request. But they didn't understand what they're asking for. And they certainly didn't understand Jesus' timing. Look at Jesus' response in verses 38 and 39. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? When Jesus uses the word cup, he's talking about an experience. And when he uses the word baptism, he's talking about being immersed in that experience. So Jesus is saying, I'm about to be immersed into an experience that you cannot even imagine. Are you able to go through that with me? And they quickly said, we can, but James and John didn't understand. They didn't understand that Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over, flogged, killed, and raised from the dead. Peter tells us in uh, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. 
By his wounds we are healed. Look at the revelation Jesus gave him in 3940. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So James and John were making a big mistake here. They were trying to place themselves in a position where they didn't belong. And I've come close to making that same mistake several times in my life, too. We've got to be certain of our calling from God. Pastor Russ and I uh, were talking about that in the office just before the service started. And I know, without a doubt, I've been called to the prison ministry. I know it. I know it in my heart. I don't know how to explain that. And uh, I know Pastor Russ knows he's been called to be a pastor of this church, and uh, neither one of us could explain how we could explain that in words. But it's a peace in your heart that God gives you when he calls you to a ministry. However, James and John were attempting to place themselves where that God didn't call them or appoint them. Listen to what John the Baptist says in John 3.27 about that positions in ministry. He says, a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from God. So the prison ministry in Iowa is going to end for me, and I'm going to miss it. I've been doing it for 13 years. I'll never forget. the. I'm starting to get a little emotional now. But uh, it really meant, I gave my life to that place. And uh, I remember hundreds and hundreds of men bowing their heads and praying to ask Jesus to forgive them. Tears of repentance. I'll never forget the thousands of faces. I've witnessed it one-on-one to more than 10,000 men with the gospel over 13 years. It's just not easy to give up. But I, I trust the Lord that his hand's in all this. He knows what's going on. He closes doors. He opens doors. He, he knows the future. And uh, if he's closing this door, which it looks like he's doing, he, he's got to have something better for me then. And so I'm ready to go. Jesus said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And he'll go out. He'll go in and he'll go out. And he'll find pasture. And so my hands, my life's in God's hands, and we'll see what he does. So let's look at the eye-opening proclamation in verses 41 and 44. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave at all. So the other disciples found out that they made this request. They became angry because James and John wanted to take positions above them. Or maybe they became angry because they beat them to the punch and they wanted them. But whatever, Jesus knows that when we have unforgiveness in our hearts and that there's problems between the saints, that it hinders God's work in our life and in the church. So he didn't let this just slide. Jesus uh, didn't allow their anger to go on. He addressed it, and he told them that the Gentiles, they're the ones that seek to lord over other people. 
He said, they're the ones that are uh, high seat seeking people. He says, but God's path to the top starts at the bottom. You first have to learn how to serve people. It's servant leadership in God's kingdom. I want to point to a guy. <laughs> I hope I pronounce his name right. Diotrephes. This guy was in Gaius' church. We read about in 3 John 1.9. This guy was something else. He was, must have been a leader or the pastor of the church, and he was full of pride. Listen to what John says. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come... I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want, uh, and puts them out of the church. That's incredible. Can you imagine if Diotrephes was your pastor here and the apostle John pulled up in a Prius and wanted to come in here and worship with you? And he saw him and he went out there and told him, take a hike, I'm the top dog around here. I don't want you here. This is what this guy was doing. And then maybe some believer would, would be driving by and they'd say, well, it's 10 o'clock. Let's go in and uh, worship with this church. And you'd welcome him in and Diotrephes would see that and he would go tell him to leave and then he'd take you who welcomed him in and tell you to take a hike too. That's just un unbelievable. So, you know, the names uh, in the Bible normally have meanings behind them. I was just dying to see what the meaning behind this guy's name was. So I looked it up, and here's the meaning behind Diotrephes. You ready for this? Nourished from Jupiter. <laughs> I don't even have a clue what to do with that, man. <laughs> Nourished from Jupiter. Well, I think the guy was from outer space, and I know he was way out of place, man. And uh, his name was never mentioned in the Bible again. So goodbye, Diotrephes. Anyway, in Philippians 2.3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Look what D.L. Moody says. He says, The measure of a person isn't by how many servants they have, but how many people they serve. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about tombstones. A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when forget-me-nots have withered. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. Wise words. You know, I'll tell you this. During COVID, COVID started uh, in March of 2020. By the time... July or August came around. I was in the biggest storm I ever had in my life. Man, I've been through a lot of storms in my life, and probably a lot of you have too, but this was a hurricane. This was incredible, and I couldn't believe I was in it. And, uh, you know, some of you here may be in a storm right now, a huge one, and you never thought you'd be where you're at right now, but you are, and it's a living nightmare, and it's real in your life, nobody else's but yours. And I'll tell you this, in December of 2020, I received a card in the mail from a dear lady that attends this church right here. And the best I know, she had no idea the storm I was going through. But in that card, she inserted a verse, and I want to read it to you. 
And some of you are a good number, you're probably familiar with it, but I wasn't at that time. And it's Isaiah 41, 13. If you're going through a storm right now, write Isaiah 41, 13 down. Here's what it says. It says, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I'm the one who helps you. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> that was exactly what I needed to hear. And tears started coming down my eyes. I bowed my head. I thanked the Lord for that lady. And I thanked the Lord for that promise in that verse. And I jumped up and I went, went into my office and I typed that up on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and pasted it over my computer. A monitor on the wall where it sits today, two years later, and it's going to sit until I, that house burns down or I move. And uh, I'll tell you what, I read that every morning over and over and every evening over and over until I believed that to be absolute truth with every fiber of my heart. And finally, on February 10th of 2021, my storm came to an end. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if I would have made it through it if I hadn't received that promise from God sent from that dear lady in this church. I want to say something to you women that might have card ministries. I know that you never see the end result of it, but God does. God sees the end result, and I think those cards are precious in his sight, precious. Don't quit. Don't give up. We need you. The body of Christ needs you. Keep going. Charles Spurgeon once said, the snail persevered all the way to the ark. <laughs> Wherever you're serving the Lord at, keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. We need you until you make it to the ark. Amen? Amen. So serving the Lord is serving other people. I'm going to end with the best part of this whole passage, and that's when Jesus is talking about himself, and he says, and, and to give his life a ransom for many. In 1 John 4, 9, 10, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The gospel is a simple message. God made it that way so we wouldn't mess it up. The kingdom of God's about righteousness. God's righteous and we're unrighteous. It's that simple. And that's what separates us from God. And we can't do a single thing about it. We've sinned, we've broken his commandments. You may say, well, I'll do better tomorrow. Well, you haven't done so well in the past. What makes you think you'll do so well in the future? Furthermore, it's too late. You've already broken. You've lied. You've stolen. You've cheated. All of us have. We're sinners. Sinners. And it separates us from God. And so he sent his son from his throne to this earth, and he became a human being. In Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. His righteousness is equal to God the Father's. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he became a human being. And he walked this earth. 
and he never sinned one time. He produced in the flesh as a human being that perfect righteousness that God requires of us to have a relationship with him. And then he went to the cross, and on that cross, God laid all our sins on him, and he died paying the penalty for sin. And then he was raised from the dead, and he sits next to God the Father right now. And he offers salvation as a free gift. You can't merit salvation. There's no way. And he offers it as a free gift. And he says, just turn to me in repentance. Turn to me in repentance and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll forgive you. I'll pay. And that penalty he paid on the cross, that death for sin, the wages of sin is death, is applied to your soul. The moment you repent and trust in Jesus Christ and your sins are paid for in full. And there's no better news on earth than that. And you say, well, what about tomorrow, Larry? I don't think I'm going to do too good tomorrow either. Well, at that moment, he adopts you into his family. And your God moves from being your judge to your heavenly father. And the righteous walk that Jesus walked is credited to your life. And you can go to bed every night knowing that you stand, your standing before God is in the standing of Christ. You're found in Christ and his righteousness. There's no better way to sleep, man. But with that knowledge, I'm going to share two inmate stories with you and then I'm going to close. And these are two inmates. One would not repent and the other one would not believe. So this guy that wouldn't repent came in not too awful long ago with a life sentence. He's a lifer. And he was in the D. David unit, and it's a cell block where they come in. And there's 30 cells there with two men in each cell. But lifers who are in for murder, which this guy was, uh, have a cell of their own. And so he had killed a uh, law officer. He shot and killed a law officer. And received a life sentence, and I go into that unit like I do all the other ones, and I go cell to cell. But every time I came to his cell, he was sleeping. And I got a golden rule. I never wake an inmate up because it's hard to share the gospel with somebody that's groggy. And number two, I never interrupt an inmate when he's reading the Bible. Those are my two golden rules. So I could never catch this guy while he was awake. Then I walked in there one day, and he was sitting, it was rec time, and he was sitting at a table playing cards with some guys. And I asked the officer, say, can you call this fellow up? And he did. And we stepped aside, and I said, look, I introduced myself, and I said, look, I know you have a life sentence, and I like to give lifers a real nice study Bible, so you can take that down to Fort Madison with you, and you've got a nice Bible, and then I've got other materials I'd like to give you as well. And then uh, <clears throat> I said, I'd like to come the next day and get you out of your cell and talk to you for a little bit, if that would all be okay with you. And he says, it's not going to be necessary. Yeah. I go, why is that? And he goes, I'm out of here, man. I'm going to get out of here any day now, probably by the end of this week. I go, yeah, how's that? And he says, because I'm in here illegally. I go, yeah? And he goes, yeah. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I was only going three miles over the speed limit when they pulled me over. 
and that's illegal. That's an illegal stop. You have to be going at least, I think he said, like eight miles an hour over the speed limit in order for him to pull you over. And I, so they illegally stopped me. And then I went to my house, and they got an illegal search warrant and came in and busted into my house. And it was all illegal. And so I'm illegally here in prison. And my lawyer's working on it, and I think he's going to get me out any day now. I go, really? Let me say something to you real quick. <laughs> if you can't come up with any excuses for your sins, just give the devil a little bit of time. He'll help you out like he did this guy. How about the thief on the cross? What if he looked over at Jesus and said, I'm up here on this cross illegally. I was only going three miles an hour over the speed limit on my donkey, and the, this chariot pulled me over. All right. And I took off and went to my house, and they had an illegal search warrant for my house. And so I'm hanging on this cross illegally. Do you think Jesus would have looked over to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise? I'm going to leave that decision up to all of you to determine, but I'll give you a couple passages to think about while you're trying to come to an answer. How about Acts 17.30? In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Peter says in 2.3.9, God is not willing that anyone should perish, that all should come to repentance. This guy wouldn't repent. God can't save a man who's blaming his sins on everybody else but him. Jesus came to save sinners. Not excusers. So he wouldn't repent. Here's a guy who wouldn't believe. When guys are in their cells, we give them Bible studies to do. And we give them a particular one. And when they complete that, we give them a really nice Bible to take with them to their next camp. So I was going into the B Bravo unit with the chapel clerk. He had a cart full of Bibles. And we were delivering them. And he... Uh, this guy was playing, it was rec time, and these guys were all sitting at tables watching TV, playing cards and all that. This guy walks up to me, and he was probably about my height, sh real short hair, had a 5 o'clock shadow, average belt. He was probably 30 years old. He comes up, and he says, Preacher, do you have my Bible? Well, what's your name? He told me. So I looked, and I had it, and I handed it to him. I go, here's your Bible, man. I showed him a few things in there and gave him some suggestions to read and everything. And then uh, I started walking to help some other guys, and he said, say, preacher. I go, yeah. And he says, uh, he says, do you have any Asatru materials in the chapel I can get from you? He goes, I'm a Christian, but I practice Asatru religion. So if, if you're not familiar with that, it's considered like a uh, Northern European religion. Some people call it a Viking religion. And it's just a bunch of nonsense. They worship a multitude of different gods and goddesses and all that stuff and I said brother let me talk to you for just a minute I pulled the motor aside because there were some people lining up to want to talk to me and I said I'm going to tell you something and you're going to get mad at me I'll already tell you that I know it's true you're going to get mad at me but you're supposed to get mad at preachers because we tell people the truth and I says the faith that you have is not going to save your soul when you stand before Jesus Christ, he's going to say, I don't know you. 
depart from me. I never knew you. I said, look, you can't divide Jesus up and throw him on a smorgasbord platter with a bunch of other gods. He said, you're either with me or you're against me. There's no other way. He says, you're 100% trusting in Jesus Christ for your forgiveness of your sins and eternal life or you're completely against me. I said, there was a group of people following Jesus. And Jesus turned around, and I think he had tears in his eyes. And he said, you study the scriptures. And I said, I just gave you a Bible. And you think by them you're saved. But they testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. And Jesus is telling you, young man, 2,000 years later, that same thing through me. He's speaking to you. You refuse to come to him that you may be saved. I said, don't let your pillow, your head hit the pillow tonight before you commit your life completely and totally to Jesus Christ. Well, he was there for about another week. And every time I went in that unit, he turned his head away from me. Didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. I told you he'd get mad at me. But you know what? When you have conversations with people like that about God, they never forget it. I don't care if that guy's 80 years old. He'll never forget that conversation. And God will use it over and over in his life. And my prayer is someday that young man will get on his knees and give his life to Jesus. That's my hope. Charles Spurgeon said that repentance and faith, God has married them together. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Repent and believe the good news. I'm going to close by uh, asking us all just to bow our heads. If we do that right now. You know, maybe uh, today you've thought about it and you realize, you know, maybe I haven't really repented. Repentance means that you take ownership of your sins and you come to Christ with a heartfelt desire to forsake your sins and follow him. And maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. It means to place all your hope in him and nobody else. He's the one that died for your sins and rose from the dead. And so if you want to receive that free gift today, just open your heart up. We're going to pray. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you seeking your forgiveness for my sins. I want to turn from them. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. Thank you.